What that does off the back of that is it actually unlocks a whole bunch of new products and services which weren't possible until now. Welcome Bankless Nation to this Alpha Leak episode where we cover Volts protocol. Volts is an interest rate swap AMM. It's got Uniswap V3 code in it, and it helps us arbitrage interest rates across DeFi. Uh, in, inside of one side of the Volts protocol, it can go in variable interest rates, and out on the other side comes out stable interest rates. And Volts is really a market maker, a coordinator between these two types of market actors in DeFi. Some people are willing to take the risk of volatile interest rates, and some people are willing to pay for that risk being reduced and get stable interest rates. And Volts is an AMM that allows these two market participants to come together and meet in the middle uh, and allows one person to get stable interest rates and one person to get uh, variable interest rates and perhaps a bunch more yield. There's also the conversation of liquidity providing since the, uh, this is using Uniswap V3 code, but instead of with assets, with interest rates, uh, there's of course the possibility of being a liquidity provider and gaining a ton of yield. Uh, and Volts really is trying to position itself as like the curve of DeFi for interest rates, where curve is where you go. It's the epicenter of stablecoin liquidity or like-kind asset liquidity. Volts is going to be or trying to position itself to be the epicenter of interest rates liquidity in DeFi. And we don't really have a single central point of interest rate liquidity. Uh, while the interest rate swap market in TradFi is like a quadrillion dollars, and I didn't just make that up, there is literally a queue, uh, this is a line from Simon in the show, there's literally a queue in front of the volume and yearly interest rate swap market volume in TradFi. Uh, and if there's one thing that we know that DeFi produces, it's yield. Uh, DeFi is really good at producing yield. And Aave produces some yield for some assets. Compound produces some yield from some other assets. We have the ETH stake rate. Uh, we have the USDC lending rate. We got the urine yield rate. We have all of these yield rates that are different from each other. And volts can be a coupler, a, a, a center point of, of liquidity between all of these different yield rates, allowing people to arbitrage them uh, in a leveraged fashion, because that's what Uniswap 3, 3, V3 with concentrated liquidity does. The reason why I'm so bullish on volts is that like, it allows DeFi to set the market, the interest rate dynamics of the Ethereum economy, right? The, mar the interest rates of crypto are set by the market rather than the Fed. Right, and so in the, the TradFi world, interest rates are set by like 12, 12 dudes in a, in a closed room. There's no input, it's just like, it's whatever they say. Uh, under like a Volts paradigm, or really like, and this is why, I'm, again, I really am bullish on the future of Volts, is that Volts allows the market to determine the interest rate. Uh, and so it, just kind of like how Uniswap V3 is an oracle for prices organically, like there, it, it, you put uh, in DAI into one pool, Ether into one pool, and the market balance these things out and naturally prices DAI versus ETH. Uh, Volts can naturally price the interest rates of all of DeFi. Uh, and so, you know, this is bullish for just a bankless, permissionless money and finance system where we don't have 12 dudes in a closed room determining the cost of money. Uh, instead, we have a protocol determining the cost of money, and that protocol could be Volts. At least that is the bull case for Volts. Of course, I ask Simon, is there a token coming? What about the token when token? Uh, that question comes at some point during the show, so you'll have to stick around to hear about that. Just as a disclaimer, both Ryan and I have invested in the, uh, as angel investors in Volts in previous rounds. Uh, so we are uh, upside, access to the upside there. So that's the disclaimer there. Uh, so I wanna get right into the show with Simon right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible.
Welcome, Bankless Nation, to this episode of Alpha Leak. On today's episode, I'm talking to Simon Jones, co-founder and CEO of The Volts Protocol. And Volts uh, recently just went to mainnet. So Simon, congratulations on that. No, thanks. It's uh, super exciting. Simon, for the listeners that haven't heard of Volts Protocol or what that is, can you just explain the high level, explain like I'm five, what is the, the early explanation for Volts Protocol? Yeah, sure. So the really high level is that we have built out a protocol that effectively brings interest rate swaps to DeFi. Um, And I guess to talk to the significance of that first. So if you just look at traditional finance as an example, uh, interest rate swaps, they're just a core pillar to a well-functioning financial system. Um, And to put that in context, there is a, a kind of almost cartoonishly large quadrillion of notional exchange each year in TradFi interest rate swaps. I mean, it literally starts with a Q. Um, And it's that large because it supports such a wide spectrum of use cases, uh, both across risk management, across speculation, but then also across the construction of a whole bunch of different uh, products, both for corporates and for retail. And at the moment in DeFi, we don't have this piece of infrastructure. And what that does is, is uh, it kind of through it not existing, is it limits the amount of products that we can actually build in order for DeFi to be able to become the financial system for the whole of the world. Um, so by us bringing this to DeFi, uh, that is what we ultimately really hope starts to happen. So let's keep things really basic here. What is an interest rate swap market? What, what is that? Yeah, so it, there's, there's basically a, a, a number of different actors that exist on the protocol. Um, so we have LPs because it's an AMM, but just to ignore that for a second and talk about the traders, um, you are either a, a what we describe as a fixed taker, where you are selling a variable rate of return in exchange for a fixed rate, or you're what we describe as a variable taker, where you are selling a fixed rate of return in exchange for a variable rate. And if I just talk about two kind of really simple use cases for that, so if you're a fixed taker, um, and you have an asset that produces a variable rate of return, like CDI, for example, and you don't want that variable rate, what you can do with Vault's protocol is you can deposit CDI as margin, which effectively enables you to sell a variable rate into the protocol. And in return, you are then converting that into a fixed rate asset. So you are selling variable and ex- exchanging that for a fixed rate, um, which if we just look at that very simple use case, like it, an interest rate swap market actually opens up a very wide spectrum of use cases. But if you just look at that really simple one, What's really interesting is, is for the first time in DeFi, that has actually removed the silos between fixed and variable rates. You have a variable rate asset with a click, you convert it into a fixed rate asset. If we look at the other side, and again, take a really simple use case, uh, so in this instance, you're a variable taker, you are selling fixed in exchange for variable. Um, the fixed rate of return that you're selling away, if you're essentially wanting to go long the variable rate, so for example, if you believe there's another bull market uh, kind of around the corner and the rates on CDI are going to increase, you can actually get levered exposure to that variable rate as it increases over time. So the idea here is that there are some market participants that desire a fixed rate and they will pay some amount of cost in order to access that risk-reduced rate. And so if you like lock in 4%, you have removed a lot of risk because you've removed the volatility of the fluctuations of the interest rate. Uh, And then there are are people who are willing to be paid for taking that risk, who are willing to take the variable rates because uh, being paid to take the variable rates comes with a higher yield 
although you just don't know what that yield is because it's variable, but you also don't really care because you're willing to take the, the variance and the risk and collect what is like a, not, not a direct payment of a fee, but a, a backdoor fee in the sense that you get to charge higher interest rates if you are the one taking the risk of the variance and you are charging people who are de-risking what the, the yield is by getting a fixed fee. Am I on track here? Yeah, kind of vaguely. I mean, there's 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 um, there's a bunch of different actors that will exist on the protocol. Um, uh, but at it, its highest level, there are people who are more risk averse, and therefore they are willing to sell, sell away variable rate in exchange for fixed. There's people who are uh, kind of on that use case more kind of risk loving, who are basically able to take advantage of the fact that there are these more risk averse actors in the market. Keeping things, again, high level, can we talk about why this market is so big in TradFi? Like a quadrillion, people don't know how to think about the word quadrillion. That's a very large <laughs> number. Why, why is it so big in the traditional markets? Yeah, it's really big because it supports such a wide spectrum of use cases, um, which exists across uh, kind of three main buckets. So there's, there's risk management, uh, there's uh, speculation, and then there's also the construction of a whole bunch of different products, uh, both for corporates and for retail. And actually... In traditional finance, right? Like, so if you were to go to your normal person on the street and say, "Hey, have you heard of an interest rate swap?" Chances are they probably said no. But if if you go to them and say, "Have you heard of a fixed rate mortgage?" The chances are they'll probably say yes. And what's actually happening is in the background that in traditional finance, that bank which is constructing, or typically that bank which is constructing that mortgage for for a consumer, they're actually using super low level capital markets infrastructure, i.e., an interest rate swap, in order to package up that product. Um, so when we kind of think about this in the context of DeFi, uh, you know, if we want these types of products to exist and if we want to increase like this, this spectrum of uh, kind of utility that DeFi can provide to people around the world such that DeFi can become the glo globe's financial system, right? we need these, this, this core pillar to exist such that we can start building these products and services. Can you illustrate what DeFi looks before and after a like sophisticated, robust interest rate swaps market? Like what, what is the current state of DeFi? And then what is DeFi going to be once we have all of this infrastructure around interest rate swaps built out? What changes? Yeah, so there's actually, if we, if we look at DeFi today, there's, there's almost a uh, structural problem where DeFi is structurally variable. And this exists all the way across the stack. So if you go right to the bottom of the stack, uh, to uh, your kind of proof of state mechanics, which is obviously where kind of the vast majority of chains converging, uh, you know, on a, a block by block basis, uh, due to supply and demand dynamics, the rates of emissions which miners are able to generate change, right? So you have right at the lowest level, you have variable rates of return coming out of the ecosystem. On top of that, you've got protocols. Uh, so if you think of, say, Aave and Compound, just as, as examples, again, supply demand dynamics mean that the rates of return change on a block-by-block -block basis. And then on top of that, if you're a trading firm or you're trying to build products or, or kind of that you distribute to retail or whatever, um, uh, even if you deploy some sort of market-neutral strategy, you are doing that on top of an ecosystem that's structurally variable. And what interest rate swaps unlock at the most macro level is it enables us to build a system where we have structural stability for those that want it. And that, it, it kind of opens up this whole spectrum of different use cases and products and services that can be built, um, which uh, kind of span across different retail use cases. Uh, so that can be stuff which is on one end of the kind of complexity spectrum, 
stuff that's relatively simple like fixed rate vaults all the way through to actually at the other end of the spectrum you can start building for example fixed rate mortgages on chain and there are teams that have reached out to us since we've gone live kind of exploring that as an idea um, and then on the corporate side you actually have stuff where you can uh, do stuff around risk management and you can also do stuff around speculation so if we talk to risk management as an example you may have a CFI lending business for example uh, which is uh, kind of promising, say, fixed rates of return on one side, but then are kind of lending out variable rates on the other. And actually what they have at a balance sheet level when you aggregate that up is they have a rate liability and they have no way of hedging that risk on chain. And all of a sudden with vaults, you can do that, which enables them to, to, to be more stable as an entity and therefore start to expand the products and services that they can offer. And then on the speculation side, what's actually really interesting is you can build, uh, because it's a derivative and you can trade rates just like you can speculate with uh, kind of like crypto assets, um, you, you can actually build a whole bunch of really interesting trading strategies that take advantage of um, kind of different rate markets and the way in which those rates are produced and the fact that they kind of at times, for example, may diverge and you believe they're going to converge. And because you can do that and trade that exposure on vaults with leverage, all of a sudden it's 100 basis points, which is 1%, kind of like change, actually, if you're doing that with 100x leverage, it becomes really attractive. Um, so there's there's a much wider spectrum of use cases which then get opened up off the back of it. And crypto has this branding of being this like chaotic, volatile, unstable, wild west. And perhaps it's because we don't have some infrastructure like this, which really creates like solid foundations for people to make like longer term plans. Uh, and so if some like big institution with a bunch of capital comes in, they need solutions to lock in their interest rates so that they can think in the long term. Right. And like, you know, the my model for this is that the crypto industry starts extremely degenerate, extremely speculative, extremely unstable, extremely volatile. Uh, but as it grows and grows and grows, both in just like amount of capital, a number of users, but then also like sophistication of financial primitives, all of a sudden we come up with tools to turn what is a chaotic, unstable place into a orderly, uh, orderly markets with solid foundations. And like the cool thing, the cool thing that I'm seeing here with this is that you have two parties, one that is the volatile party and one that is the, uh, the non-volatile, the stable party. And like the stability can come on the backs of degenerates, right? Like people that are trading with like a thousand X leverage on interest rate uh, variants. Uh, and if they are right, they get a bunch of money. And the, the people that are looking for the orderly institutions can ride off of the liquidity of like the degens who are uh, taking a bunch of leverage with, with interest rates. Uh, would you, would you, how do you like that take? Is that a, a good take or what would you change? No, I think that I think there's definitely parts of that which I, I like completely agree with. I mean, I mean, it's it's completely fine for elements of I, I, like I have absolutely no issue. I think it's amazing that there's parts of DeFi that are, uh, are, are kind of volatile. It's like lots of speculation. It's a completely legitimate thing to do with your money. But there's also uh, if we really want DeFi to become the financial system for the whole of the world, there's also a whole bunch of other people who don't want that. Um, and actually, the existence of an interest rate swap market enables DeFi to exist for both sides of the market and actually frankly enables uh, those different types of uh, kind of actors with different risk appetites to almost be able to kind of play off the fact that there are different people with different risk appetites and, and you can effectively exchange that difference in risk appetite with one another. 
Yeah, right. This is, Volts seems like it can be a coordination tool between the risky and the risk averse, right? It allows the risk averse to find the, uh, their other half to balance each other out to create a stable foundation. In many ways, yes. And then what that does off the back of that is it actually unlocks a whole bunch of new products and services which weren't possible until now. So um, a question about how Volts actually works under the hood. Like we already have like stable interest rate options. Like Aave has stable interest rates uh, in its protocol. When you borrow like USDC or DAI or anything really, uh, I think you, you can get a variable interest rate and pay a lower fee than what is offered for a stable interest rate. So like either you can lock in like a 3% uh, USDC borrow fee or you can get a variable interest rate, which will be something like 2.5% or 2%, but then there's the chance that that variable interest rate goes up to like 5% or perhaps even down to 1%. Like, but we already have this option in, in Aave and in Notional as well. Uh, and so like other DeFi applications already provide this service. So what's different about Volts? Yeah, I think the key thing is that Volts is generalizable and composable such that you can build a whole bunch of different products and services off the back of it. Um, so, in, in, and, and alongside that, the other thing which is extremely different is that it's so capital efficient. Um, so actually, when I kind of go back to when Archer and I, Archer's my co-founder, when he and I were going through a process of just figuring out how on earth you build this, this type of market in, in DeFi, uh, where the constraints are frankly just fundamentally different, uh, to say traditional finance, if you're trying to look at that as an example, um, uh, the 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 kind of two things that we're really optimizing for was number one, capital efficiency, um, which is kind of led to a bunch of architectural decisions that we made in the protocol. And I guess the headline there is it is, a, it is around 3,000 times more capital efficient than alternative structures. Uh, but then the other that we're really solving for is to try and make the protocol as composable as possible. Um, which meant that we figured out a mechanic where everything exists on chain um, such that um, people can start using vaults as a very low level building block uh, to build all these products and services that kind of we feel that it is going to unlock uh, through the through the next few years. Right. So Aave and its variable or fixed interest rates is like a money market, but it only has so it only goes so far in providing like the actual tooling for all yield-bearing assets to be able to access both fixed and variable interest rate markets. But then also like another big difference is that with leverage, right? And so you can only you can only arbitrage the differences between variable and fixed interest rate markets on Aave to so like it only goes so far because of like the capital intensivity and Aave is just not really meant for that. Volts is specifically meant for arbitraging the differences between variable and fixed interest rates and you are able to do it with leverage. Uh, how does the leverage happen? Uh, how, how do we get like leverage interest rate market swaps? Like where does that key unlock come from? Yeah, so the, the way that we've built the protocol is, is we deliberately split out the AMM uh, from what we describe as the margin engine. And the AMM, what that now does is it, we describe it as a virtual AMM because it essentially only acts as a pricing oracle uh, where we essentially mint and burn fixed and variable tokens as trading activity takes place, and that obviously drives the price. Um, that then acts as a pricing oracle into the margin engine. And the margin engine, we often describe it as the beating heart of the protocol um, because it's responsible for defining the leverage that you can take as a trader. Uh, it deals with settlements, it deals with liquidation events, it collects fees for LPs. It basically does everything except uh, the pricing oracle, which the virtual AMM does, and then in terms of like specifically how it creates leverage, 
So if I just walk through a kind of a really simple use case, if you've got uh, a pool which has got a one-year term and say you're a variable taker, so you're selling a fixed rate and imagine the price of the fixed is 10%, right? If I'm doing 100 of Notional, a really simple uh, kind of model uh, would assume that I need to deposit 10 of margin, right? So I've got 100, 10% for a year, 10 of margin. Um, and so at, in that instance, you are already trading with 10x leverage. Uh, but what's actually very naive about that model is it would assume that the variable rate would just drop to zero and stay at zero through the entire course of the term, which actually when you start to run a whole bunch of modeling around that is it, it's just extremely unlikely to happen. So what we have instead is we have a margin engine which computes uh, predictions into the future of what your likely upper and lower bounds are going to be for a rate. And then that defines uh, kind of within a safety measure, it defines the amount of leverage that you can take as a trader, which actually in some instances, particularly as rates actually start to come down. So if you go from 10 to 1%, you know, you, you could theoretically be fully covered and, and only be depositing one instead of 10 for a year term. Uh, as rates start to come down, it means that actually you're able to take more leverage uh, as a user. So so the, the actual kind of underlying number associated to the rate is not what matters because it's offset by the fact that you're able to take more leverage. And this is where, yeah, we're definitely taking a peek under the, the complexities of, of the Volts protocol and what really powers the Volts protocol to make it different than all the other fixed versus variable interest rates markets. Can we actually just zoom out and like start from the very beginning about the technical details behind Volts? You talked about how it's a virtual AMM, uh, and like I kind of can wrap my head around that. Uh, but like, can we just like go and, and do uh, just a, a walkthrough of like all the details of the Volts protocol under the hood? I know you already just did it, but like let's start from the beginning and like go through it like step by step. To explain the architecture, it's actually easier to just explain the different actors first. So we've got we've got three different actors. You've got liquidity providers, mm -hmm. you've got fixed takers, and you've got variable takers. Um, if you are providing liquidity, we actually uh, borrowed concepts from Uniswap v3, uh, where we have tick kind of uh, spacing within the AMM. So as a liquidity provider, you choose your tick range that you want to deposit liquidity within, uh, and, and that's essentially the way which you go about doing it. Um, but that requires you via the margin engine to and, and that's like in Uniswap v3, that's like uh, concentrated liquidity. Right? That's the concept of concentrated liquidity in V3. When you say like providing between two tick ranges, this is the same thing, but with interest rates rather than asset pricing, right? It, exactly. And actually, if anything, what's really interesting is, um, well, not, not only does that unlock capital efficiency, but actually within a rates market where your rates tend to be mean reversing, if anything, it's actually a better uh, kind of uh, use case for the concentrated liquidity mechanic, um, which I, I guess to talk to that just very briefly. So if you've got DAI and ETH, for example, where that you know that's quite volatile, as a liquidity provider, you are having to change your tick ranges relatively regularly. In a rates market um, where rates have this mean or exhibit this mean reversing behavior, uh, actually you can choose your tick range, and even if the rates kind of go out for a period of time, you you can kind of like confidently kind of predict that it's going to come back at which point you might not even need to change your tick range. You can just leave your liquidity there for a period of time. Right, yeah, and just to double down on that, uh, providing liquidity between Ether and DAI, you know, some people choose to do this behavior, but I don't choose to do this behavior because I think Ether is going to like $10,000 and beyond. Yeah. Uh, and so like, I don't want to be providing liquidity there when I, when I want and bet on Ether going up and up and up and up. 
that same bet doesn't happen with interest rates, right? Like it's it's just ridiculous to th- to like make a bet that you think the interest rates are going to go from five percent to ten percent to twenty percent to one hundred percent to fifteen hundred percent. That's not how interest rates work. They never really get that far away from some certain mean. And so liquidity providing inside of a concentrated liquidity model that Uniswap V3 unlocked is like more efficient from like a fee taking perspective because. When it mean reverts, what that means is that it's going back to back inside of a range that you can depend on more than like ether. Ether's not going back into a range; like ether's going to the moon. Uh, so it is meant to escape the ranges, but interest rates are meant to stay inside of certain like ranges. And so uh, I just wanted to like double down on that explanation there. Yeah, no, that's uh, absolutely. I think the the only thing which I'd add to that is obviously in bull and bear markets, in a, in, a, in a real bull market, you see that the underlying rates on say Aave and Compound do typically go up. So you kind of end up at this more a, a different equilibrium, but they still tend to exhibit mean reversing behavior around some sort of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like we're not we're not seeing ten or a hundred x's in interest rates, uh, and not for very long at the very least. Not for okay. Long so we just we just explained um, concentrated liquidity pr- uh, providing with interest rates. Uh, where, where does this where does the protocol process go from here? Yeah, so you've got you've got the three actors. You've got liquidity providers, which obviously provide liquidity through that mechanic, and then you've got your fixed and variable takers. Um, it, it kind of it's really important to think about that architecture of your virtual AMM and, and your margin engine, uh, because every single actor, including liquidity providers, you are depositing margin to cover a position, and then that is minting fixed and variable tokens which is uh, your your actual notional that you're trading, and that's going into the MM. And your notional that you're trading is essentially your margin times your leverage. Um, and, and by separating these two out, not only uh, does it enable us to, to essentially have the ability to, to, to introduce leverage into the rates market, uh, but it also enables us to have this mechanic where the, the virtual MM is just purely functioning as a pricing oracle. From the user perspective, from the external per- perspective, Volt is Uniswap v3 for interest rates, but it actually it doesn't mimic Uniswap v3 in every single way in the sense that you aren't not depositing assets. It's using the Uniswap v3 code as an oracle more than it is an actual exchange. Is this correct? Yeah. So we we originally when we actually kind of came up with the idea, we thought that we could route trades via Uniswap v3, and then actually when you start going in and 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 kind of really trying to build that, um, actually there's so so much of that code that basically needs completely refactored for a different market. Um, uh, that in the end we actually needed that code to be native to our code base, and it and it is essentially only the very low level kind of uh, kind of building blocks such as the use of tick ranges. That actually ended up going into our code. Um, if I don't know if you remember this, we actually had to go through obviously Uniswap v3 code is is subject to what's described as a business source license, um, so you can't just fork it and, and kind of put it into your mm-hmm. code base. So instead, we had to go through a process with the Uniswap DAO where we asked the Uniswap DAO to provide us with uh, essentially a license. It's actually described as an additional use grant, but it, it's a license which allows us to have Uniswap v3 code in Vault's protocol code base. Yeah, this is a fun piece of DeFi trivia. Uniswap v3, uh, rather than being fully open source, it's licensed for a number of years, I think something like three to five years or something. Yeah. Um, and that's just mainly to protect the efforts of the Uniswap team and the investors. Eventually, it will that that time frame of licensing will definitely just end and it will become open source. I, don't, I can't remember the years on that. It's like three to five or something. Um, but Vault's protocol wanted 
wants wanted to use Uniswap v3 code inside of its application, and so it needed to convince the Uniswap organization, the Uniswap DAO, to allow Volts to use the code yeah, because the code is licensed. And I think uh, Volts gave Uniswap 1.5% of all tokens in order to pay for this license. Is that is that the correct number? 1%. 1%. Yeah. But yeah, 1%. 1%. Exactly. Yeah. 1%. Which is just a cool story of just like inter-DAO relationships. Uh, so like one, one org wants to pay another org to use their software. Uh, and so they they just paid them one percent for the for the uh, costs of producing Uniswap v3, and now it's integrated inside of Vaults, which is actually an interesting business model that I don't think many many people think about Uniswap or or even open source software that's not fully open sourced yet. Um, but just like kind of a cool side quest of a story between Vaults and, and Uniswap v3. Yeah, and what was really cool about that is is the first ever um, like doubt to doubt deal that has taken place in this space. We actually expect, and we've already seen a bunch of proposals that kind of mimic that. Mm. Um, uh, so we expect that to continue, but what it what it also does is actually ties the success of the two DAOs together in many ways. Um, so we've got people coming in from the Uniswap DAO that are now contributing mm. in in different ways to the Vaults uh, kind of protocol and 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 to the DAO that we're building out. Um, and then alongside that, kind of going back to Uniswap, well, like they own one percent of Vaults' future tokens. So as Vaults grows, that actually has an economic advantage to Uniswap as well. Um, so it's not what's actually really nice there is it's not just the composability right. of the software. You start getting some sort of composability across the two communities as well, which is pretty nice. Yeah, the phrase composable communities is something that Ryan and I have, have been like leaning into ever since DeFi summer. Uh, and yeah. like so like while it is like a one percent capital cost from the Volts organization, from like all the one percent of the capital goes to Uniswap. It's also kind of investment in Uniswap and Uniswap's community. Uh, so it's not just like a fixed, it's not just like a cost. It's not just like a, a, a negative on the balance sheet. You also get, well, the Uniswap v3 code, but also Uniswap talent just by proxy because of how composable these e ecosystems are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And what, what it means is that Uniswap, you know, very much the grandfathers of AMM design and, and, you know, perhaps in version four or whatever, like assuming they kind of are working on that type of thing. Um, you know, there's opportunities for the ideas that are generated within that ecosystem to really kind of like come through into into the Vaults community as well, because you have these people that now start to exist across the two ecosystems, um, which which then just enables, uh, you know, more innovation and, and kind of ideation to take place, which perhaps as an ecosystem gets us to an even better place as well. Yeah. So, okay. So we were going through the details of the Volts protocol under the hood, and we kept on finding these side quests. <laughs> can 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 we do it like one more time, where we just like speed run through the three market participants, the variable interest rate sellers, the variable interest rates buyers, and then the liquidity providers? Yeah. Sure. So so well, the way that it works is you have these three participants. Um, liquidity providers provide liquidity within tick ranges that that creates the market from which uh, fixed or variable takers can start trading. And the way that that works at a, a kind of a more practical level, so imagine you've got a fixed taker who comes in, um, they're wanting to sell a variable rate in exchange for a fixed. Um, what they can do in the way that that works relative to the liquidity providers is if uh, the kind of price is within the liquidity provider's tick range, fixed taker comes in, they initially use the liquidity provider's liquidity to execute a trade, at which point the LP is effectively the variable taker because they're on the other side. But then if a variable taker comes in and has the same amount of notional at the prices at the same point um, and they do the trade, actually what happens, it, although they use the LP's uh, liquidity initially, those two trades then actually net each other off 
and the liquidity providers uh, kind of liquidity then kind of is released and goes back into the AMM to continue to collect fees. And that's a process that we describe as margin recycling. And then those two positions basically are, are sat as essentially, it's actually a pool-to-pool -pool basis rather than peer-to-peer, -peer, but they're sat in two pools, uh, which are supporting either side's uh, position until the end of the term. This kind of feels like a perpetual swap market as well, where like there's a central contract uh, and then like it, and it just or it orients the two sides of the market. But I guess that's all kind of how all markets work. Um, yes. Yeah, so with the with the uh, margin margin recycling. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the key, one of the key things is that all the, all the pools on vaults have terms. Um, so the pools which are live at the moment, they have 60 day terms. And, and that means at the end of the term, everybody settles. Um, uh, but the margin recycling, when, when we're thinking about uh, coming back to some of the stuff that you're saying before about how like vaults is different and how we kind of create this market, actually having fixed and variable rates, which are tradable within the same AMM, such you can transition from one side to the other and back again. Um, and, and what that does from a liquidity provider's perspective, where you're able to have this margin recycling mechanic, all of that contributes to having a, a kind of an AMM design that is ultimately more capital efficient and removes the silos between fixed and variable rates. It's all mathematically connected. Why fixed at 60-day terms? Why, is, is there a future where revolts is like infinite terms or, or like what, what's the story here? Yeah, so we, well, so rate markets are still relatively new in, in DeFi. So um, it kind of opening up pool terms that had kind of, kind of a year term and someone's trying to speculate on what's going to happen to the variable rate on CDI over the course of an entire year um, it is, you know, the, the cycles that exist are, are just a bit too unpredictable for someone to kind of reasonably take a view on what's going to happen over that longer period of time. So what we did instead actually is we built ourselves a whole bunch of statistical arbitrage uh, kind of models internally. We've actually, within the Volts Labs team, we have our own quant team. Um, and we started looking at what type of uh, kind of APYs can you generate depending on how long the pool terms are and that type of thing. Um, and that's where we landed on actually a 60-day term to begin with um, is, a, is a sensible length of time, which enables you to have a few cycles in rates where they kind of like converge, uh, say, between A die and C die. It will converge for a period of time and then it will kind of come back to get, uh, sorry, diverge and then converge, uh, which means that you can start building these models that trade that kind of movement with leverage in a, in a time period uh, that that is, is is sufficiently long enough for that to take place, but also sufficiently short enough for people to be confident speculating over that period of time. So is this 60-day window, what's the vision for the um, development of different timeframes? We're, we're now getting into the conversation of the Vault's roadmap, so we can talk about that next. But but first, like, what, what's the roadmap for like opening up further, further longer timescales? Yeah, so we, we, I mean, we can, it's, it's very, the, the protocol is generalizable actually to the point that not only can we introduce a market on top of any asset with a variable rate of return. Uh, so we, so long as we have a rate oracle pulling in the variable rate, um, we can basically create an asset on top of any asset, uh, sorry, a pool on top of any asset. So to begin with, we've done that on AVE and Compound, and we've just done that for 60 day terms, but we will launch pools on top of uh, kind of other assets. And one of the ones which we've been public talking about is Lido. Um, uh, kind of in the future as well. And then in terms of the actual term, it, it's, it's super straightforward. We, we, we kind of felt 60 days was the most sensible thing to start off with, but we could very easily introduce 90, 180 days, even a year long term 
uh, if that's what the market desired. But the thing is, if you start stitching these 60 day terms onto each other, you, you can sort of replicate something similar anyway. Yeah, so volts can open up any length of market that it, it wants to. It just needs to make sure that there's enough liquidity there. And so it sounds like the uh, interest in specific timeframes is going to be what determines those timeframes like opening up. Uh, and so since volts is literally in, it's like it just got pushed to mainnet very, very recently, starting with 60 days. And then as volts gets adopted, the interest rates markets on DeFi grow. Uh, so will the options for timeframes inside of volts. Is, is this all tracking? It, it, exactly. And because if you were to have, say, a 60 day term on an ADI pool and a 90 day term on an ADI pool live at the same time, actually what you're doing is you're fragmenting liquidity across those two pools. Um, so it's a lot more, it's a lot more sensible actually to have kind of shorter duration single pools to begin with. And then as the liquidity starts to increase, we can start opening up kind of more terms uh, kind of on the same asset. We know that stable coin yield uh, is huge in DeFi, of course, uh, but also we are coming up to the merge. So like this is a beautiful moment for Volts to be on mainnet as we as Ether goes from proof of work to proof of stake. Uh, so I definitely want to talk about the future of Volts with like ETH, the ETH stake rate and, and its relationship as like a financialization of ETH financialization layer on ETH. Uh, but but first, I just wanted to uh, get more of like the Volt's road, roadmap. What are you guys working on like right now? What are you guys working on the next few weeks, next few months, and then like longer term horizons for the next few years? Yeah, so in, t in terms of right now, we're obviously in this alpha state where we've just gone, very recently gone onto mainnet. And what, what alpha means at a more practical level is there's a cap on the amount of liquidity that could be provided as an LP per pool. Um, uh, which not only enables us to kind of like test it in a more kind of like kind of a safe environment to begin with, uh, it then means as trading volume starts to pick up, we will start opening up those caps too. Um, but then alongside that, we're actually working on a bunch of uh, different rate oracles, uh, which pulls in the underlying variable rate on chain. Uh, so the kind of first one, which we've been uh, kind of obviously public and talking about, is that we're going to launch Lido markets, which will enable people to speculate on. Uh, the rate of return that they expect to occur on staked ETH. Um, and we'll la launch that alongside a bunch of other ETH-based pools, so AETH, CETH, for example, uh, which actually also enables people to start arbitraging between those different uh, rates and the way in which the rates are behaving in different kind of protocol designs. And there's so much coming online uh, in, in DeFi right now. Like not There's Aave and Compound, of course. There's also um, uh, Rari's Fuse Pools, which can create interest rates. Uh, but then there's also Euler Finance, which is a brand new AMM, which can also tap into Volt. So it sounds like any... Uh, any uh, market money market like um, like Ave or Compound or, or Euler or or uh, Fuse can just hook into Volts and they, it can take their variable interest rates and Volts can turn it into stable interest rates. So this Volts seems like a tool for every AMM or every um, money market that comes into DeFi. Uh, but then also like we have uh, Lido staked ETH and Rocket Pools R ETH. Uh, and we have these two variable interest rates, but also coming online is uh, the the new Coinbase announced one. Uh, Alluvial, I think, is also a new like liquid staking as a service organization. Uh, Obel Network is here to like make a bunch of uh, competitive staking as a service networks, and so perhaps a bunch of uh, liquid staking derivatives. Uh, there's also like things like Stakewise, uh, and like all of these things that produce yield in DeFi. And I, and I I make this joke. 
like bankless listeners who tap in uh, to bankless all the time will hear me and say this joke all the time. Uh, like crypto is here and, and has made really three good things. Like we, there's three good things that come out of the crypto world. One is non-sovereign store value money, uh, and that's Bitcoin and Ether. The second one is yield. Uh, like that's the second big thing that crypto makes. Uh, and then the third one is content, which is like the joke, but also I think it's true. Um, and, but like the vaults, if, if you agree with me that like the first use case of crypto is money and the second use case of crypto is yield, well, vaults is turning that whole entire second use case and making it stable and allowing other people to, uh, to take the, the, uh, the risk and the upside on the volatile side. And so as we get into the ETH, post-merge state where Ether uh, yield rates go from like 4.2 up to 7 and beyond, but then also uh, goes up further as a function of the heat of the Ethereum economy. The hotter the Ethereum economy is, the more ver- the more higher the ETH stake rate goes. Although I'm sure like Volts is just like licking its lips at just like the possibilities here. So like, how, how do you guys think about how Volts interfaces with the ETH stake rate over the long term? Yeah, well, I mean, what's, you kind of touched on it there. I mean, because the protocol is generalizable such that we can create kind of pools on top of any asset with a variable rate of return, um, all, all that's required is a rate oracle to be built for all of these different protocols, at which point you can start speculating uh, kind of on, on the direction which uh, kind of the rates of return on, on say, state teeth is going to go over a period of time. But then you also can start arguing between different protocols. Um, so what, what becomes really interesting is as you start getting kind of more competitors to Lido, um, actually, uh, you know, if they are starting to produce different rates of return, uh, you can start arbing that with leverage by the fact that vaults exist, uh, which is obviously something which uh, you, you could not do before, uh, which starts to be, obviously kind of post-merge, it starts to become kind of really interesting as, as the dynamic evolves and as there's more competitors which start to exist. Um, uh, actually, people starting to speculate on that, we, we see as like a really interesting and, and big use case for the protocol. I want to touch on the very last uh, participant in the Volts ecosystem before we talk about some candy topics. Uh, I am going to ask uh, if there's a token. Um, <laughs> the liquidity providing. Uh, why, what, why would somebody provide liquidity? What do they get out of it? And can you also explain um, the, the cool quirk about Volts and liquidity providing, which is there is no impermanent loss because we're not trading across assets, but instead there's this other thing. Can you overall just like, pitch why somebody might be interested to be a liquidity provider and like the, the whole like trade-offs that come with being a liquidity provider, provider in Volts? Yeah, I mean, well, the headline is that there's opportunity to generate pretty significant APYs, um, which is both driven off the fact that uh, you are depositing within tick ranges, so therefore your capital is uh, more capital efficient. It's also driven off the fact that actually you are generating fees off your notional, but you're only having to deposit margin in order to create that notional within the AMM. Um, and then the last thing is actually this this kind of really interesting dynamic where, um, say, unlike a Uniswap v3 pool, uh, where you have two assets, like, say, DAI and ETH, uh, with a rates market, your kind of fixed takers uh, and your variable takers are getting paid in the same uh, kind of underlying asset. So if you've got a, a pool which is created on top of C DAI, your fixed interest rates are in DAI and your variable interest rates are also in DAI which means as a liquidity provider to actually create either side of the market, you only have to deposit one asset, which is DAI. And then all of a sudden you do not, you do not have the concept of impermanent loss. It is replaced with other risks. Um, so we have what we describe as funding rate risk, where um, just for argument's sake, imagine a, a fixed taker came in and traded with your liquidity. 
uh, but a liquidity, uh, sorry, a variable taker never came in and then did the opposite side of that trade. What would actually happen is your liquidity would be locked into that position, supporting the fixed taker until the end of the term. Um, and you're more exposed to that risk if you are depositing within a tight tick range at a place where it kind of like your your tick is outside of the band where you have this mean reversing behavior. Um, so that that's the that's the small quirk, which is I guess is different to impermanent loss. But if you're depositing it within a tick range where you've got balanced trading activity taking place on either side, all that's happening is you support a trade until the corresponding trade nets it out. You go through this margin recycling process and you're collecting fees. Okay, so if instead of impermanent loss, you're exposed to the risk where if there is a lopsided market, as in there are more people on the fixed side of things and not enough people to support those people on the variable side of things, that is the that is the new impermanent loss for volts. Uh, uh, I kind of didn't totally follow the mechanic on how it works, but that imbalance costs you yield, costs you fees, and like you are the one taking the weight of that imbalance as a liquidity provider in volts. Yeah, that's right. There's a there's a chance that that costs you. Um, so if you get end if you end up having a position that's not netted out, and if it happens to be, for example, a, a fixed taker position. And the underlying rate market moves against you because on one side it's going to move for you and on the other it's going to move against you. So, so if you don't get netted out and the rates move against you, then there's a risk that you are supporting that person's position, that trader's position. Um, but the best way to kind of avoid that is obviously to put, put your liquidity within a tick range where there is balanced trading activity, at which point you just have this continuously recycle, recycling mechanic. Uh, so, Simon, is there a Volts token? <laughs> well, that, so so we, we did the Uniswap DAO to DAO deal and they received 1% of Volts' future tokens. So I think it's completely fine to acknowledge that there will be tokens in the future, uh, but right now there is there is no Volts token. Okay, so there's just like uh, there are ideas for future tokens. Uh, do you know how that token would be released into the public? Yes, so, so there's there's a lot of the design around that and the decisions around that, which which honestly have just not been not been a core focus as we've been building the product and getting it live. Um, obviously, we want the whole uh, kind of protocol to be transit transitioned to a DAO so that it becomes a public good, which is owned and managed by the community. I, I think that's it's incredibly important for the whole ecosystem. Uh, but exactly how that gets distributed is obviously not decided at this stage. What are the parameters that if you had a token? Uh, the token would likely govern over. Like, what what are the governing parameters of the Volts protocol? Yeah, so there's there's the initiation of new pools. Um, uh, there's kind of launching of new markets. So, say if you wanted to launch a pool on Ave instead of Compound, um, but then there's also the actual risk parameterization um, and the setting of things like LP fees, um, which are all things which uh, can be voted on via governance. I'm assuming since like we we've been talking about Uniswap v3, there's so much. There's probably also like the concept of a fee switch, whether that's like formally built into the protocol from day one or introduced later. Uh, but there will be like perhaps like a fee switch mechanism uh, that is similar to Uniswap's fee switch mechanism as well. Exactly. So the the, the way that the protocol can generate fees for the treasury is is it well so LPs generate fees and the protocol can collect can collect a proportion of LP fees if it chooses to. Uh, that is currently set to zero, but obviously it, it is a governance decision for the future as to whether to switch that on or not. 
Okay, awesome. Simon, this has been uh, really, really interesting. I I've learned a ton. Who Are, are you guys hiring? Uh, what kind of jobs are you guys looking for? Or like for people that just want to like join the community, what kind of people are you looking for? Or just like overall, what talent are you looking to find in the Vaults ecosystem? Yes, yeah, so we, we've been growing pretty aggressively over the beginning of this year. Like it, if I go back to January, it was literally just Archer and I, uh, Archer being my co-founder. Um, uh, we're now a team of 12, going to be 14 relatively soon. Um, we're obviously always on the lookout for kind of really high quality uh, kind of developer talent. Uh, we're also looking for a head of growth. Um, but then actually within the community itself, uh, because we're kind of such a low level building block, which unlocks so many new products that could be built in this space, and we're constantly getting teams coming through uh, who have, now that we have this new market, which is an interest rate swap market, constantly getting teams coming through, thinking of new products that can be built on top of that, uh, which spans from stuff across like swaptions uh, through to more simple products like fixed rate vaults, um, even using uh, kind of uh, vaults as, as a form of stable coin collateralization, which is pretty interesting use case. We've got two teams which are doing that at the moment. Um, so if there are teams which I guess ultimately are listening to this and thinking, oh, wow, there's this new market that's being created and actually unlocks all of these uh, kind of new opportunities for me as a builder, um, come into the Discord. We often set up kind of like one-on-one -on -one channels um, with that team and the Vaults Labs team. And we really try and help teams through that ideation process uh, to the point which they can actually go live. Amazing. Well, Simon, we will get the link to the Discord, the Twitter, and all the other relevant information into the show notes for listeners that want to dive deeper into the Vaults rabbit hole. Simon, any last comments or anything you want to share that I forgot to ask about before we sign off here? I don't think so. I think that the main thing which I'd say is that when, when we were going through a process of uh, kind of figuring out what we felt was the next zero to one innovation required to move the whole sector forwards, um, you know, interest rate swaps, they're just a core pillar to any well-functioning financial system. So, so by us building this, we want it to uh, help DeFi ultimately become the financial system for the whole of the world. And in order for that to happen, we need to, now that this low-level piece of infrastructure needs to exist, or does exist, um, that uh, kind of provides these opportunities for people to start building these new products and services, which serve a much wider spectrum of, of, of financial needs. And that that's frankly, that's the one thing which uh, more than anything, that's the thing which kind of excites us about the fact that we've now launched. Amazing. Yes. And once again, congratulations on getting to mainnet. Uh, this is, well, I'm sure it also feels like the end of a very long journey. It is also just the start of an even <laughs> longer one. So wish the best to you and Volts. Uh, and thank you for coming on and sharing all of this alpha in this alpha leak episode with the Bankless Nation, Simon. No, it's been awesome to be here. And uh, I kind of really enjoyed talking to you. Bankless Nation, of course, disclaimers, ETH is risky, crypto is risky, DeFi is risky, trading interest rates is also going to be risky. You can lose what you put in, but we are headed west. We're on the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we are glad you are with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.